0: All right everybody, welcome back. My name is Oliver. Welcome back to Footsteps. So yes, I have changed the name. It used to be Oliver's Show, but I figured that was a little bit too self-centered, so now we're going with Footsteps. Still has part of my name in it, but I figured the play on Word was pretty cool, so that's what we're going with. And I'm very excited to share with everybody that I have finished my exams. Thank you, thank you, no need to cheer. Um, and I think everything went pretty well. It was it was not a fun time, but they're over, and I honestly couldn't be happier right now. So I'm making this podcast. All right, so on today's episode, we actually have some pretty interesting stuff. Um, if you guys haven't heard recently, apparently um, the government of Canada, Health Canada, has um accepted magic mushrooms as a form of psychological therapy and this is what i'm going to be calling the shroom boom well that's what i've seen online everyone's calling it the shroom boom um but essentially this and psychedelics and that kind of thing came to my attention a while ago thanks to one of my friends um and he was talking about it and he was saying how it's like the next big thing and we were mainly talking about it in the sense of like the stock market because we're both interested in that type of thing. And he was saying how it's going to be like the next medical marijuana and the next legalization um, in Canada, which at this rate might, might be possible. But after reading a bit more, I've actually, I do have some opinions on this. Uh, but before that, I want to give some background on what I think uh, this medical psychedelic thing will yield. So Health Canada has allowed a small group of doctors, nurses, therapists, and social workers to possess and use psilocybin, which is the active psychedelic ingredient in magic mushrooms, for personal training without fear of being prosecuted. So four months ago, Health Canada approved psilocybin as an end-of-life pain reliever for these four cancer patients which I think is pretty cool that they are, um, allowing people to do this. And I think it gets even more interesting when you kind of learn a little bit more about, um, what psilocybin could potentially do. So these small group of therapists were allowed, and there was this one doctor who was saying that, um, the therapists have to be well-versed in the effects of the drugs so they can act as guides, as the shamans, if you will, for the people. And, um, This makes a lot of sense, but also, I'm not saying anything here, but I don't know how these people would know what it feels like to be under psychedelic influence unless they've been under it themselves, so that's a little bit interesting, Um, but the doctor who was talking in this article was essentially saying that you should be familiar with the realms of human unconsciousness that are visited because the patient may act in bizarre or even a psychotic manner and you have to be able to work with that and walk people through it. And I think that's pretty interesting. I've done a little bit more reading on this, so I actually know a whole lot more than what I previously wrote down in my notes here. But here's a really cool part. So there's some related research to the effects of psychedelics, and people are calling it the default mode network of your brain. And essentially, it's a certain part of your brain that becomes active um, when you see a photo of your hometown. And this set of neurons or neural network is essentially called the default mode network. And supposedly this network uses 20% of your body's energy when your body is at rest, which is a lot. And when you're doing a cognitively complex task, it actually uses 2% less energy. Your brain uses 2% less energy than it does in default mode. Um, And there's speculations that this default mode network, this neural network, might run the entire show of your brain. So it's kind of like the conductor of an orchestra. And this default mode is also being speculated as how we kind of retain our sense of self. So when we're not actively doing something, we're always aware that we exist and we are always kind of there and present. And when we're in default mode, that part of our brain stays active to basically keep us aware of ourselves in our environment. So this in itself is pretty cool, but there's some evidence that psilocybin can actually disassemble your default mode network, and if you allow a person to have new experiences on a psychedelic in a controlled environment, when the default mode is put back together, put back together, you can put it back together in a different way. So this is kind of scary, but it also means that if you can find a way to reframe a experience or a deeply rooted problem when somebody is on psychedelics, it can have a much greater effect than years of talk therapy or medicine. Of course, this stuff is just from existing medical evidence and things like that, Um I'm not sure if there's, there was a lot of research done on this in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s um, in the United States, but there actually hasn't really been, like, there's been conflicting evidence, and I think, at least from my perspective, I'll get into it a bit later, but from my perspective, I think that the United States government was just trying to scare the people out of using LSD um, or psychedelics. I just spoiled the next part of my podcast. I'm going to be talking about LSD. Anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting about the psilocybin stuff, um, and now we get into the fun part of talking more about a different psychedelic, but still similar properties, um, LSD. So LSD was invented in 1938, and it was discovered in 1943 by the scientist Albert Hoffman, He was born in Switzerland, and there's a really funny story behind the first ever psychedelic trip. Um, Essentially, Albert Hoffman was in his lab and injected himself with 250 micrograms of LSD, and the actual threshold dose for LSD is only 20 micrograms, so he essentially injected himself with 12 times the actual amount of LSD that you need to trip. I mean, he was the first ever test subject, so how could you know? That's what he assumed that the threshold would be, was 250 micrograms, but he uh, misinterpreted the science a little bit. He asked his lab assistant to escort him home, and they made the journey on bicycle, which is why the first ever LSD trip is called Bicycle Day, and it's celebrated on, I think it was actually April 19th of every year. I'm just going to double check that real quick. But if it, if it is, that would be hilarious. Yeah, it is. So it's celebrated on April 19th every year. And guess what's celebrated on April 20th? That's right. Marijuana. 420, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, so So he got his lab assistant to escort him home. They made the journey on bicycle. And on the way there, his condition slowly started to deteriorate. And he thought that his neighbor was a malevolent witch. And he thought that he was going insane. He thought that the LSD had poisoned him. So he was essentially freaking out. But his house doctor arrived, calmed him down. And he says that he was overcome with a sense of good fortune and enjoyment. Um, He later wrote in his journal, At home... I lay down and sank into a not unpleasant, intoxicated-like condition, characterized by an extremely stimulated imagination in a dreamlike state. With eyes closed, I found the daylight to be unpleasantly glaring. I perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes, with intense kaleidoscopic plays of colors. After about two hours, this condition faded away. So I found that to be really funny that... This doctor just went off and injected himself with LSD and tripped, and essentially what you associate with LSD and, like, all of those, like, colors and everything was experienced in the first um, LSD trip ever. And this Wikipedia page that I was reading about LSD actually continues to go on and talks about how... LSD was tested extensively in the United States, and people wrote papers about how uh, LSD was given to Alcoholics Anonymous people. And after about one year, 50% of the study group had not had a drink, which was a success rate that has never been duplicated by any other means. Um, and there was other research that said it can like help with mental illnesses. A bunch, all of these doctors and things were taking it. But there was a certain point where the LSD started to leave the lab, and uh, people outside of labs began to, like the general populace, began to take LSD. And it is around this time that the government of the United States was like basically told the producer to stop producing LSD, and um, and it would only be like LSD could only be used for scientific research. Um, and yeah, the government basically, uh, came out with their own paper saying that, like, basically debunking all of these claims that people had made, um, and that LSD can cause, like, panic, psychotic crises, and, uh, flashbacks, and this one I actually have heard of, um, and they also did some, like, weird stuff, which I'll talk about a bit later, um, but the flashbacks thing is quite interesting to me. I actually heard about this from my grade 12 chemistry teacher. Um, we were sitting in chemistry class and he essentially was talking about LSD because it was um, it was like basically the mirror image of a very common drug that you can find like at a shopper's drug mart. Um, that's like where you go to get your prescription medications in Canada if you don't know um so you could find this these things at shoppers drug mart and it was basically i think they called it like isometric or something that's like a math term but i think it was something like that it was a mirror image of a very common drug that you can find at the drugstore so he kind of went into like this whole story about how lsd can cause people to have like unlimited trips essentially and just like out of the blue you just start having these like these like trip episodes and like people that were completely normal. If they took like 100% LSD, they would have these flashbacks and also people who were completely normal. Like sometimes they would take LSD and then have like, um, they would basically lose part of their, uh, like memory. They would lose most of their long-term memory and just kind of become like a shell of a human. And now that there's more research about the uh, default mode network, this actually, in some ways, makes sense because if you can deconstruct your default mode network to the point where you lose like your sense of self, like those memories were probably still there for those people. And again, I don't know if this is one hundred percent confirmed. I'm just restating things I've heard. Um, But essentially, what I'm thinking is that these uh, default mode network, it could like you could disconnect some memories from like the network and a person might just completely forget a good portion of their long-term memories including things like their name or their birthday right yeah these flashbacks uh make sense because you could like have a really interesting like i don't know vision or something on lsd and then uh it could you could basically attach it to your resting state network and then continually repeat a bad experience over and over and over again so there are risks which is why people like the doctor from earlier was saying that you should be doing this in a controlled environment which makes a lot of sense but there's also some really interesting stuff here there's a guy called Timothy Leary who essentially um, I think he was a guy who wrote a book Psychedelic Experience, a manual based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead, um, which is like, I think it was like the go-to psychedelics book um, back in the 60s. And uh, and yeah, and then there's like a bunch of things about recreational use. And uh, I really liked the stuff about the artists. There was the Beatles, actually, the Beatle members, so John Lennon, George Harrison, and their wives were uh, dosed with LSD without their permission by their dentist, (laughs) Dr. John Riley. Um, he mentioned it, uh, John Lennon mentioned it in a Rolling Stone interview. Yeah, so John Lennon wrote Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, a fanciful song which many assumed referred to LSD, and Tomorrow Never Knows, and, um... She Said, She Said, and a bunch of other songs that explicitly referenced LSD trips. There was essentially, like, around the same time, different bands came along, like Pink Floyd and The Grateful Dead, and they helped give birth to a genre known as psychedelic rock, or acid rock. I never heard that second one before, but now that... I remember, I don't know if you guys ever watched the Yellow Submarine movie, but there are some parts in that movie with tons of like kaleidoscope colors and just like really interesting, um, I guess images and visionary. And even when I was in high school, I, that movie like seemed to me like somebody would be tripping on LSD when they made that. Like, now that I know that, and I know, like, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was a big song in that movie, and, like, Tomorrow Never Knows was a big song in that movie, so now that I know that, um, and we all live in the yellow submarine, um, now that I know that, it's really interesting to kind of, like, draw the parallels between um, the fact that they were actually (laughs) taking LSD and writing those songs, and that's, to me, that's pretty cool. There was this other song, um, Mike Durnt of Green Day in 1992, he wrote the famous Longview bass line under the influence of LSD. Apparently his bandmate walked into his house and saw Mike on the floor and Mike was just like, yo, listen to this, and just like went off crazy on the bass line. To be honest, I don't think I've actually heard the bass line in that song, but I'm just going to trust Wikipedia on this one and assume that it's a good, it's a good baseline. Ooh, here's another like really weird part. Apparently in 19, in 19, in the 1960s, 50s, 70s. Okay. So there was a project by the CIA called MK Ultra, And this was essentially used to try to figure out how to control people's minds because the government thought that LSD could be used to control people's minds. And the way that they did about the way that they went about doing this was essentially giving people LSD, like the general public without their knowledge, and then like tracking what they would say and what they would do and like how they would feel in labs and things like that. And it's just like, wow, that would not fly. (laughs) Honestly, if that's what they were doing in the 60s, I'm curious what they're doing now. Um, but, but like, wow, that's of all things to be doing. It's like the, this program, like ethically, not sound whatsoever, um, but they conducted that LSD's effects are too varied and uncontrollable to make it of any practical use as a truth drug, which makes a lot of sense, um, that it is like unpredictable and uncontrollable. Now, we're talking about psilocybin, um, which I actually, psilocybin, which I think is specific to uh, magic mushrooms, um, and I don't think it's actually, like, in LSD. I know that LSD has a different kind of, like, chemical structure. So, LSD on its own is actually, like, um, the name for a uh, chemical compound, lysergic acid diethylamide. So that's actually completely different in its chemical structure from uh, magic mushrooms. But seeing as they both kind of cause similar effects, I think that it could be even that like magic mushrooms might have less of the unpredictability of LSD, which is why people might be uh, like approving it and using it and things like that and the government might be more accepting of it. Um, so that's one of my explanations as to why the government has all of a sudden decided to allow the use of psilocybin in testing. And there's actually an article here from fastcompany.com, uh, and it was from back in 2018. So they were really on top of things because there have been multiple companies IPOing in the past little while and and they were all they're all psychedelic companies and these guys back in twenty eighteen were saying that the mushroom market is expected to hit fifty billion dollars in the coming years. And there are some like high profile investors in psilocybin, Sorry, Silocybin saying it's like really confusing. Um but like in MindMed there's Kevin O'Leary and Bruce Linton. Peter Thiel is invested in Compass Pathways and There's this other company which has a plan. I think they called it Mushroom to Market Strategy, um, called Champignon Brands, and they are Canadian, as most of these companies end up being, because for some reason Canada seems to be ahead of the curve when it comes to um, legalizing things like marijuana and now psilocybin for testing. Um, Very progressive country. (laughs) Yeah. So very interesting stuff. These companies, as of about last week, really, really took off because of the news. And generally, since most of them are penny stocks, don't have any revenues or income or anything like that, they're heading right back down after people have, you know, hyped their hype up and now it's going to go back down. So I'd say if you do want to get into the psychedelic um, drug, like psychedelic stocks to try and get ahead of this, I don't know if it's going to end up being legalized, but seeing as Canada was one of the first, maybe not the first, but one of the first countries to re-legalize marijuana after banning it whenever they did, I think it's entirely possible that they they legalize um, psychedelics like magic mushrooms sometime in the near future, although it would take a more progressive like prime minister and more progressive politics in order to do that Um, and obviously Trudeau was the one who kind of pushed through the legalization of marijuana um, but I'm just saying like in the future you might not have that kind of political support for this type of thing Um, so you know it really depends but I do think that if people get educated enough on it and they move forward um, and like as the younger generation grows up and they kind of, their beliefs switch a little bit and become more progressive, and I'm sure anyone born like, I don't know, like in the 60s, 70s, even 80s, and went to like uh, music concerts or something, I'm sure they would support it, so, (laughs) and I do think that at some point this will get legalized, so as I was saying, if you want to get in on it, I would do it, sometime in the upcoming weeks, um, I don't think there's gonna be any news, so get ready for your investment to get absolutely crushed, um, but, you know, if you want to be, if you want to be in, you know, relatively soon, I would, I would say just hold off for a little while, and then buy in sometime in the new year, and just hold for a long time, and who knows, maybe one day, you'll have thousands of dollars because of it, um, but also this is not investment advice. Do your own research. Choose the companies wisely. Um, I can give you some for your convenience to research. Uh, Actually, it's all on my phone. Anyway, so there's Numi. there There is Champignon Brands. There is MindMed. There's Compass Pathways. There's a bunch of others very similar to it and it's actually been pretty cool because these uh stocks for psychedelic companies have been like they some of them have plans of how they're gonna like partner with Beyond Meat and United Natural Foods and Amazon and Starbucks like next thing you know we're gonna be drinking like iced mocha magic mushroom lattes or some shit (laughs) or something crazy like that I don't know but it's quite, quite the, quite the time to be alive. Let's just say that. Um, all right, everybody. So I screwed up a little bit and I forgot to record a short segment, um, on the microphone here. So we're doing a rerecord. Um, anyway, so the things that I went over while you were all away, um, essentially there is a little bit more stuff. I found this really funny website, called shroomboomstocks.com and essentially they have a newsletter that you can sign up for and it gives you uh information about ipos and a bunch of other things relating to the shroom boom so if you want daily updates they do every weekday they do an update about what's going on with the shroom stocks you can go over there don't believe everything that you read on the internet but if you want to stay up to date I would say these guys are doing people that are interested in this a good service. So uh, if you're interested, check out shroomboomstocks.com. As well, I remember that there was some like Kevin O'Leary stuff. And yeah, this is like, (laughs) this stuff is funny. I don't even know what to like think about it anymore. But yeah, there was, right, okay. So there was some research here done by... I really hope that this was in the part that I missed out. There's some research here done by the Beckley Imperial Research Program, and they essentially had 20 patients um, with treatment-resistant depression, average age of 18 years old, who were given two doses of psilocybin, 10 and 25 milligrams, seven days apart, accompanied by psychological support. And the reason that this study is really interesting is that all of the patients had some reduction in their depression scores one week after treatment, and maximal effects were seen five weeks after treatment, and the remaining, the results remained positive three and six months after treatment, which is a really good sign for this type of medicinal psychedelic treatment. Um, however, it's important to note that this particular study was not done with a control group; there was no placebo or blinding, meaning that the patients were fully aware of what they were taking. So it's very possible that they could have perpetuated, um, like, like, oh, I'm taking this and it's supposed to make me feel better. So here's the perpetuation. And all of a sudden I feel better. Unlikely, but possible. Um, of course you gotta, like, you gotta do your controls and everything. There have been many psychological studies that have been debunked because they didn't do control groups or they forgot to do something pretty important, so I think it is important, and it would be valuable to do a little bit more testing on the effects here of psilocybin. But from all of the stuff I've been reading, uh, it really seems like there is a, like, lots of good things to be said for psychedelic treatment, and the more I read, the more I convince myself that it will become legalized and that I should buy stocks. But as I said before, (laughs) make sure you do your own research before you just like blindly buy stocks. I'm not recommending you to buy any particular stock um, because I don't want to get in trouble for that. And um, yeah, I just think that this whole thing is quite interesting and I finally understand what my friend has been talking about and why this is exciting and pretty cool. So Yeah. Like after you do some research and reading on your own time, it's, it is very interesting to see all of the potential, um, like improvements to people's lives that this type of drug could have an effect on. So I'm hopeful for the eventual legalization of something like this, just to help out the people that need like this type of help the most. Right. I think it would be awesome. Anyhow, I think with that being said, that's a good spot to wrap up this episode. Um, I really appreciate you guys coming along with me to listen or watch. And if you did enjoy the episode and you want to hear more from me, drop me a like on the videos. So I know you liked it. Leave me a review on Apple and um, leave me a comment. Let me know what you think about this. Is it crazy? Um, are people getting too excited about something that's not worth getting excited about? Or do you think that this is going to be something to look forward to and something that could really help like people out there with mental illnesses? Um, let me know what you think. And as usual, I will see you guys in the next episode of Footsteps.